The teaching that I'm going to start tonight is going to be a series um, entitled The Two Sides of Grace. Now this is something that as it was presented to me through Karis Bible College, it was something new that I hadn't heard taught this way before, but it has just been stirring and stirring in my heart. So the teaching is, and I'm, it's going to take me a few weeks to, to completely um, share it with you, but the teaching is there are two sides to grace. There is the cross side of grace. The cross side of grace is everything that Jesus purchased for us. Forgiveness of sin. And because we were forgiven, we have been made righteous. And because we are righteous, we're reconciled unto God. Salvation includes everything that Jesus paid for, including healing. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says that he took our sin in his body on the cross so that we would die to sin and be alive unto righteousness. By his stripes, we were healed. That's all in one scripture. It's all part of the atonement. It's all part of salvation. It's all part of the cross side of grace. And we receive that grace with faith, through our faith. So that's the cross side of grace. And I'm going to develop that a lot more this week and next week. The resurrection side of the grace, just because if I was you sitting here, I'd want to know a little bit more. Cindy's going to talk about these two kinds of grace. The resurrection side of grace is the grace that empowers us to live the resurrected life. The authority, the power that we carry as Christians. The empowerment to take the commission that God has given us and advance the kingdom of God. That's the resurrection side of grace. So we're going to talk about both sides of grace. But today we're going to talk about the cross side of grace. I'm going to start with Romans 6 verse 5. A lot of scripture tonight. I wasn't able to type them all out on a front and back. But you at least have the references so you can go home and reread these and let this feed your heart. Lisa, I love watching you when I teach. I just love watching you. This woman, I mean, talk about passion. She just glows with passion. It's like she gets excited when you say, you know, take these scriptures and go home and read them again. And she's going, ah, <laughs> I love it. Okay, Romans 6 verse 5. For if we have become one with him, with Jesus, by sharing a death like his, we shall also be one with him in sharing the resurrection by a new life lived in God. That's a beautiful picture of both sides of the cross, the death and the resurrection. We share in the death of Christ. We're going to talk about that today. We also share in the resurrection, completely open to fellowship with God, completely reconciled unto God and all of his blessings. So the cross side of grace is God's grace that is available to us, nothing to do with us, nothing to do what we did, but everything to do with what Jesus did and his finished work and his perfect work. He did it once. It was perfect. It never has to be done again. Jesus went through the passion, death, burial, and resurrection once and for all. Never again does he need to go through that, thank God. Three scriptures, I've already quoted one of them. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. Our instant healing flowed from his wounding. That's all part of one scripture. It is all part of the price that Jesus paid. You know, Kent and I have often talked about this, and I don't know, this is, this is something that I think, I really don't have the, the, the biblical evidence of this, but I've often wondered if Jesus really had to take those stripes on his back for our healing, or if he just chose to do that, we know that sin was the barrier that had to be destroyed in order for us to be reconciled unto God, in order for the judgment to be paid in full. 
But he took those stripes on his back to heal us before he died for our sin. And it just, I just sit back and, and just am in awe that he chose to do that for us. But it's all part of the precious gift of salvation. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, Since we are now joined to Christ, we've been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. We're talking about grace today. We're talking about the cross side of grace. It was paid for through the blood. The blood was the price that was paid for the total cancellation of our sins. We've talked about that many times in here. Remission of sin. It's more than just forgiveness. All sin is canceled out. The judgment for sin was taken. The penalty for sin was paid. The power of sin was broken. The punishment was taken by Jesus once and for all. All because of the cascading riches of his amazing grace. And then Galatians 3.13 takes it even a step further. This is from the New Living Translation. At the same time that Jesus took our sin, destroyed sin so we could have righteousness and healing, this also happened. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for all of our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. So in the old covenant of the law, there was um, sin and curses. There was obedience and blessings. But when Jesus destroyed sin, the effect of sin was the curse. So when he destroyed sin, the curse was also null and void for those who believe and accept sacrifice. And healing, I'm sorry, sickness was part of the curse. Sickness, pain, cancer. Uh, you, you go through the list. There's like, I don't even know, 50 or 60 scriptures, verses of the curse. One thing after another, after another, after another. So Jesus rescued us from that. He redeemed us from the curse. So that extravagant grace, the grace of the cross, includes the fullness of our redemption. That word rescued in New King James is redeemed. We have been redeemed from the curse. So the fullness of our redemption is what I'm calling extravagant grace. I chose that word. I mean, I, I just gave, I just said, God, I need a big word, a big word to talk about your grace. Listen to what extravagant means. So then I'm looking at extraordinary and extravagant and amazing and wonder, I mean, all these words. But listen to what extravagant means. Excessive. Exceeding the bounds of reason. Going beyond what is deserved or justifiable. Doesn't that sound like a good adjective to use to describe his grace? His extravagant grace. And that grace, that grace, I've given you a list, and this is only a partial list. I've already kind of alluded to this. It includes forgiveness. It includes righteousness. It includes being reconciled to God. It includes being rescued because before grace, before the new covenant of grace, we were under the dominion of darkness. We were under the dominion of the power of Satan. But we've been rescued. We've been transferred out of that kingdom and into the kingdom of God. So we've been rescued. We've been set free. We've been protected. We have been healed. This is part of the cross side of the grace. Preserved, prospered, and made whole. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, another one of my favorite scriptures, it's the one that says that every promise has been fulfilled through Christ. And God says yes to those promises. Yeah, and we say amen, and we say amen. That is the cross side of the grace. Every promise in the word. Wow, that is extravagant. It's so extravagant. But I haven't shared with you yet 
the most important facet. When Jesus came, when Father sent his only son to come to live for us, to teach, to heal, to show us the heart of the Father, and then to die for us, the first purpose was that sin barrier. That sin barrier had to be removed, but I don't think that was the ultimate purpose. I think the ultimate purpose was that, yeah, that sin barrier had to be removed, but it was so that our Father could be in communion with us, so that we could be reconciled unto Him. Think about us as moms and dads. If there's anything hindering our relationship with our kids, grown kids, you know, because I'm looking at Leah, she's got these beautiful little babes, but my kids are 34, 36, and 40. Oh boy, that's scary. But if there's anything that's hindering us in our relationship with our own children, we want nothing more than that to be reconciled. To have any residue, any hurt, any bitterness, any, any disagreement, anything cleared out of the way so we can have restored relationship and love and, and ease and, and just a wonderful relationship. Well, how much more our Father? That was His greatest desire. And that's what was purchased for us. I believe that was number one and most important. The cross side of grace, the result, is a potential. It's not actual until we receive it. But there's a potential for our vertical relationship with God. If and when we believe and receive Jesus' sacrifice, we are in this unmovable position of fellowship with God. Nothing will break our fellowship. Sin will not break our fellowship because all sin, the power, the effect of sin has been completely broken. Yes, we may not feel worthy. Yes, it may affect us, but it doesn't affect our fathers the way he sees us. And his desire, his best for us is to run into his arms. That's what repentance is. Run to our Father. Run into his arms. That scripture I read where he's waiting to just embrace us and draw us close to him. That's what Jesus died for. That is, I believe, the most important, the biggest part of that extravagant grace. I'm going to read three amazing scriptures. Here's the first one. Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51. Jesus passionately cried out, and then he took his last breath and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Wow. That is a picture of the division going away. The division between God and man was torn at the moment Jesus died. When I was preparing this, I never saw this. I never realized it. That didn't happen when Jesus resurrected. That happened the moment he died. The sin was paid for. He had taken it all into his body and he died. And when he died, sin died. Sin was banished. That's when the veil was torn. It was torn from the top to the bottom. That veil was in the Holy of Holies, separating the most holy place from the Holy of Holies. No man could go into that place except one high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement to atone for the sins with the blood of the, the unblemished lamb, not Jesus, but the, the, the natural lamb. And he had to do it every year over and over and over and over again. But he was the only one that could go into that place because that's where the presence of God resided, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. But when that veil tore, the, the division was gone. There was no more separation. Once we accepted the sacrifice, the way was made for every human being to come into that place of fellowship, unbroken fellowship with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified, that is acquitted of sin, 
declared blameless before God. Notice every one of those words has an ED. They're past tense. We have been justified, acquitted. Acquitted doesn't mean you're not guilty. Acquitted means the char you're not charged for the offense. We've been declared blameless before God. By faith, we have been justified, acquitted, and declared blameless before God. By faith, that's our part. So let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God and the joy of reconciliation with him through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. God says, okay, this is what you have. We need to step into a place of joy. Look at what you have. You have the joy of reconciliation. You have peace with God through Jesus, through the Messiah. And the next scripture is very similar. Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 16. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, that great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. So let's walk right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. You know, it must just break God's hearts when people come or don't come because they don't feel they're worthy. And so they distance themselves from God or maybe they even turn away from God because of sin in their own lives, because of unworthiness, because of lies they believed, whatever it is. How that must hurt God when he has made the way for us to be face to face with him. This is the same scripture in the traditional translation, in the tr like New King James, that says to boldly and confidently come before the throne of grace. The only way we can boldly and confidently come to God face to face and ask for help is through Jesus and through knowing who you are, the righteousness of Christ. Amen. So, we receive this extravagant grace through faith. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace. That's God's part. When you believed. That's our part. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So, none of us can boast about it. So God requires that what he gives by grace, we receive by faith. We are not saved by grace alone. We're saved by his grace through our faith, through our believing. We're going to talk more about that in a sec and how this applies to healing. So this is how we're not saved. We are not saved through obedience to the law. If that were true, the new covenant wouldn't have been necessary. We're not saved by following the commandments, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, because there's no way we could do it. There's no way we could be perfect. We're not saved by our merit. That means being a good person, being kind or patient or loving. That's not how we're saved. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by um, giving our tithes. We're not, not, all of this stuff is good and it's a result of knowing Jesus. It's a result of grace, but that's not how we're saved. We're not saved by going on mission trips or giving money to the poor. That's not how we're saved. We're saved by what Jesus did and then believing it. I remember when my friend Jenny asked me if I was saved and I used to always be offended when I heard that. It used to just raise the hair on the back of my head because absolutely, I believed I was saved. But that day, I went to Jenny. When she asked me, she says, are you saved? I said, well, I think so. And then I listed all three of those traits. I said, I'm a good person. That's merit. I said, I, ha I don't have any grave sin on my soul. You know, no mortal sin. I'm not murdered. I've not had adultery. I've not stolen. I've not had any, uh, you know, really bad sin. And I've, uh, you know, I, I teach religion classes. I take my kids to catechism. I go to church every week. Yeah, I think I'm saved. That was obedience, merit, and works. 
And she said, do you want to be sure? And she led me in a prayer of declaring my belief. Everything changed that day. It was February the 19th, 2002. I'm almost 18 years old, spiritually. That's, that, that sounds way better than 61. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus, for my second birthday. Amazing. But at that point, that's when I received, and everything changed. That's when my vertical relationship with God just took off. This cross side of grace, let me give you one more little nugget about comparing the cross side and the resurrection side. The cross side of grace results in our vertical relationship with God. And the resurrection side of grace results in our horizontal relationship with man as a result of being empowered by grace. We'll talk more about that as we go. Romans 5.2. Our faith, our believing, guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous grace that has been given to us. A perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. We've been talking about hope over the last few weeks. Hope, that, that vision of the glory of God in our lives, that, that seeing the word of God come alive in our lives, first in our heart, first in the eyes of our heart, then in, in the, the manifestation in our lives. What joy, what incredible joy bursts forth within us as we access his grace with our faith. Grace must be accessed. It is not automatically given to every person. Okay, now I'm going to tie this in with healing. Grace is accessed through our faith. Every facet of God's extravagant grace is accessed in the same way. It's, you know, once, you, once you're born again, it's, it seems so simple. You know, I just believed. With my heart, with all my heart, I believed. Seems true for every facet of extravagant grace, including healing. In that same scripture where we talk, we, we quote this a lot, we are saved by grace through faith. That word saved is the word sozo. We are sozoed, and that word sozo, many of you have heard this teaching many times. The word sozo means forgiven. It means saved. It means eternal life. It means healed. Yeah, it means delivered. It means set free. It means made whole. Every facet of sozo is accessed through faith in the same way that salvation is accessed. So that brings me to my next big, huge question. How can I have that kind of faith? Faith, that's huge. To believe without doubting in these promises, these amazing promises. Well, here's some good news. You don't have a faith problem. None of us. We have no faith problem. You have the faith of God. You have the gift. Faith is a gift. Yes, that muscle might need a little exercising. I'm not saying it doesn't. But we all have faith. And I'm going to show you biblical evidence. There's several scriptures in the Bible. I think there's about five. I've looked them all up, but I'm only sharing two with you tonight. But you can look these up on your own. We have the faith of God. Romans 12, 3. For I say... Through the grace given unto me, Paul is speaking. I'm telling you, Paul says, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. God has dealt, God has given every man the measure of faith. Notice the, the um, article, the. That's a very specific word. Every saved 
kid of God, every born-again child of God has the same measure of faith. I don't have more faith than you. You don't have more than me. We all have the measure of faith. Now the question is, what measure of that measure are you walking in? But we all have it. And I think it's interesting, the first part of the scripture, where Paul is saying, you know, you sh don't look at yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Some of us look at our own faith walk, our own works of faith, and one way or the other, we may look at it and say, oh, I'm doing so much. You know, I, 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 I trust God is going to hear me because look at what I'm doing, my works of faith. Or it might be the opposite. It might say, I know I'm not measuring up, God. That's probably more common. I'm messing up. I'm not measuring up. Well, according to God, we all measure up. We all have the measure of faith. The next scripture talks a little bit more about what that measure is. This one is Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Wow. I live by the faith of the Son of God. We have the faith of Jesus, the faith of the Son of God. That's what I live by. Christ is in us. We are in Christ. His faith resides in us. There's another scripture in Galatians that says that we have the fruit of faith. It's planted deep within us when we are born again. Now I want to distinguish a little bit between faith and believing. Faith is this precious gift that we've been given. We have the faith of the Son of God. We have the potential to have the faith of Jesus. It's in there, but we have the potential to, to let it rise up and, and be active. Think about Jesus when he walked on this earth. He looked to his father. He saw what his father did. He followed what his father said. He was obedient. He saw the results. He saw the signs, the miracles, the wonders. Even when he was at the very end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had faith in God. He had enough faith to give himself up for our salvation. He had so much faith. He trusted God. He was fully persuaded in his father. He was fully persuaded in even the words of the prophets. He quoted the old covenant scripture so much. That's what faith is. Faith is being fully persuaded of truth. Faith is being fully persuaded of our Father and his love for us and his goodness and his plan. Jesus was fully persuaded. But believing is a verb. Faith is a noun. It's that full persuasion of truth. But believing is a verb. Believing is a choice to use that faith. It's our responsibility to use our faith and choose to believe God and his promises. The really good news is you don't have to understand it. He doesn't tell us to understand it. He says to just believe, to just choose to believe. I see a lot of heads nodding. You've been there. You've been there when you can't figure it out. There's no way. And yet you just trust God. Listen to this scripture. This is John 20, 29. Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Believing is a choice to take that faith that's in here. That faith that you, you've read, you, it's in your heart, it's moved from your head to your heart. You know it's there, but it's a choice to believe it for yourself. I've heard so many people say it's easier for me to pray for somebody else and believe than it is to pray for myself and believe. It's a choice. It's a choice. And it might be one of those acts of faith where you just have to trust that you're worthy. You have to trust 
that Jesus' blood is enough, that his sacrifice is enough, even if you don't feel it. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus is teaching about faith. He says, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Jesus is telling us, believe. He says, believe. He's teaching us how to pray the prayer of faith. Remember, faith is a noun. Believing is a choice to act and to say, okay, I choose to believe and take it. The word receive in that scripture, it says, believe that you receive them is better translated, believe that you have taken them. Because the promises had already been paid for through the cross side of the grace. The work is finished. It is finished. So listen to this translation. Therefore, I say to you, this is a paraphrase. This is Cindy's paraphrase. This isn't a translation. I need to clarify that. This is Cindy's paraphrase. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have taken them in the spiritual realm, and then you will have them in the natural realm. Isn't that good? That just helps me to clarify it. Okay, God, I believe with all my heart that when I pray, when I speak your word, when I believe your word, when I agree with your word, I have taken what's already mine, it's already my inheritance, I've taken it in the spiritual realm. And then it shows up in the natural realm. I remember when that came alive to me. It was in April 2002. I was diagnosed in February. I still was in the middle of my cancer battle. In April, Charles Capps came to visit our church. It was at Life Christian Church. That, that Sunday, he was there in the morning and the evening, and Kent and I went to both sessions. And when we drove home that night, we both had the same rhema word. We both had the same revelation. We had been believing, I specifically had been believing and speaking that I had faith that I was going to be healed. And that's what I was believing and speaking. Father, thank you. I know you love me. I know that you, you want me well, and I know that I will be healed. But that day, there was a switch. I realized the teaching of Charles Capps came like a magnet into my heart. And I realized I had already been healed. The work was already done. And instead of speaking future tense healing, I started speaking past tense healing and thanking God that it was going to show up in my life. But I thanked him by your stripes. I was healed. It's already done. I don't have to do it. I don't have to get you to do it, God. You already did it. And that, I believe, was a great turning point in my walk. And then this came to play, came true in my life. I believed that I had taken it in the spiritual realm, and then I saw it in the natural realm a few months later. It was in June that I had the first good report. In July that I had the final, absolute, perfect report that was not one cell of cancer in my body. It did come to pass in the natural realm when I believed that it was already done in the spiritual realm. So I've given you a list what it looks like to access God's grace through faith, what that looks like, what it sounds like. Here are some, some um, one-liners that I think are really powerful. Quit trying to get healed and start trusting that you've already been healed. Put your faith in God's healing grace instead of in your own works of faith. This is a common thing that I see where we almost put our faith in our own faith or we put our faith in the works of faith instead of in the grace of God. Now, yes, there are actions. There are ways to actively um, take the gift of God, but that's not where our faith is. That's just actions that are, are um, uh, evidence of our faith. They're not works to get God to move. There is a fine difference, but it's a big difference. The next, the next line says, don't say, I'm waiting on God, because that's not how it works. The work's done. By his stripes, you were healed. We don't need to wait for him to do anything. It's already done. God is waiting on us to believe and receive what he's already done. 
Believe you've already got it. Talk like you've already got it. Act like you've already got it. And then, when you declare your healing, by God's stripes, by Jesus' stripes, I was healed, put a period right there. Period means that is done. That sentence is finished. It is finished. And then don't look at your body to prove it. Your body doesn't count. The word is what counts. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed, period. That's the end of the story, done. And then don't look at your body. Your body will follow suit. But if you're looking at your body to prove that truth, then it says if it's future tense instead of past tense. It is finished. So the last thing I want to share with you is the highest form of faith. And it's called rest. Have you been hearing a lot about rest in January? So have I. And I, I had this on my desk, this teaching, on my desk, not in full, but little notes jotted down in November and December. After I finished my 10-week study, I knew that this was something I just wanted to delve into, the rest. Because on our 10-week study, it's powerful foundational truth. But there's a lot of to-dos and don't-dos in that study. There's a lot of teaching about, about confessing your faith. There's a lot of teaching about um, uh, growing your faith. There's a lot, of, and there's good teaching. I'm not saying it's not powerful and true, it is. There's teaching about um, fighting fear. There's teaching about un, um, unforgiveness and um, sin strongholds. There's all sorts of teaching. They're good teachings. But as I'm teaching and as I'm sharing, I feel almost as if I'm a, uh, uh, algebra teacher in high school that's just packed, piling on the homework, piling on the hours and hours and hours of homework. And I felt like, I just, oh, I just want to give them rest. Because rest is the highest form of faith. So I'm going to be sharing the rest of this time. I've got a short teaching, so maybe about 10 more minutes on rest. And then next week, we're going to talk more about it, the rest. So here's a really simple answer to the question. How do we access God's grace through faith? Simply rest in your belief that his grace is enough. That might be something you might want to um, write out and put on your mirror, your refrigerator, someplace where you see it all the time. I just felt a heavy anointing when I just said that. God, I rest in my believing that your grace is enough. I don't have to worry about anything else. Your grace is enough. I'm going to read a scripture from Hebrews right now about the rest. Whenever I read this, it just comes alive. And um, I, I want it to come alive in you. So I'm just going to take time to read and meditate on this scripture. Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, while the promise of entering this rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid to distrust it, lest any of you should think it has come too late or has come short of reaching it. So this scripture says the promise of rest is still for us today. We're going to talk about the promise of rest for the Israelites. But this word right here says, it's for me. It's for you. But then we are given a warning. Don't distrust this promise. Don't think you're falling short, like it's too hard for God or it's too hard for you. Don't believe that you're too late or you're, you're falling short. No, don't believe that. Because that promise is for all believers. And then the next verse says, For indeed, we have had the glad tidings, the gospel of God, proclaimed to us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. I'm going to pause. 
we have had the gospel presented to us. Thank God. I remember looking back and saying, thank God Jenny told me Jesus heals today. Thank God she showed me the promises in the word. Because I had never heard it. And if I could have perished from lack of knowledge. But I heard the gospel of healing. I heard the gospel of the grace of healing. And that, this is a healing class, so this is our primary focus. But we have the gospel presented to us. But then it says, but so did the Israelites. They had the good news of deliverance from bondage presented to them. They were being delivered from the bondage of slavery. They, God took them out of slavery and he had given them the promised land. They never reached it. Except two, we're going to talk about that in a second. We have the promise of deliverance from the bondage of sickness, the bondage of pain, the bondage of anything that the devil is attempting to steal, kill, and destroy you, and, or, you or your family or your life with. Then there's a but. So they had this glad tidings. They had this good news. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. It wasn't mixed with faith. We're saved by grace through faith. They must be mixed together. The Israelites didn't mix the, the grace, the promise with faith. Neither were they united in faith with the ones, Joshua and Caleb, who heard and did believe. So out of that whole generation, there were only two that reached the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, only two that believed God and his promise. That was, and they believed that God was bigger than the problem. Remember the story about all of the spies. I think there were 10 or 12, 10, 12, thank you, 12 spies. Only Joshua and Caleb saw the bigness of their God was bigger than the bigness of the giants and the problem. 10 of those 12 spies came back and said, oh, it's too big. The giants are too big. Yes, it's a land of good and plenty. Yes, God, you were right. But we could never conquer those giants. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. They saw the gravity of the problem. They came back without believing God. And they never entered the rest. They never entered the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb, the only two people of that whole generation. The whole generation died out, even Moses. And the next generation is the generation that, that took the promised land. So, here we are. We have a choice. We, and, and we can learn from, from the word to mix our faith with the grace, with the gospel, and to be united in faith. That's one of the reasons why Linda is so uplifted when she comes here. That's one of the reasons because we're all coming together and believing together. You've got everybody around you encouraging you, praying for you, loving on you. That's being united in faith. And there's great power in that. Then the next verse goes on. It says, for we who have believed, adhered to, and trusted in, and relied on God, do enter that rest. There we go. When we believe that the grace is enough, when we believe in the promise, simply believing, don't try to figure it out, that's when the rest comes. In accordance with his declaration that those who did not believe should not enter, when he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And this he said, although his works had been completed and prepared and waiting for all who would believe, from the foundation of the world. That part just absolutely blows me away. It was done. The work was done. The promised land was there. It had been set aside for the Israelites. Just like our healing has been purchased, the fullness of that extravagant grace is our possession as children of God. But it's waiting, it's waiting just for us to believe, waiting for all who would believe. 
Isn't that amazing scripture? We can learn so much from that scripture. I'm going to read a blog post from um, Joseph Prince right now about that scripture and about the promised land. Listen to this. The promised land was a land of rest that God had promised his people. He promised them large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. He has promised us healing and health that we maybe don't even deserve. Maybe we did this to our own bodies. He has promised us protection. He has promised us provision. He has promised us all of these magnificent gifts that we may not feel like we have earned or deserve. But he's given them to us. They're promised to us. But for those 40 years, God's people wandered around in the wilderness because they refused to believe that God had given them a land where everything had been prepared. The work was finished. It was like it was too good to be true. They could not believe that God had given them a land full of good things to enjoy, a land which just flowed with his abundant supply. Today, there are believers who still cannot believe that the work of Jesus is truly complete and finished. They're trying to complete a completed work, finish a finished work, and defeat a defeated devil. As if Jesus didn't do enough. There are believers today who are always working and trying to produce their healing, their success, and their victory. God wants us to stop trying and start trusting trusting his love for us. He wants us to stop working and struggling and start resting and believing in his grace, that his grace is more than enough. You know, I teach about healing. And I mean, it, it is so out of the realm of the worldview. It's like too good to be true news. That's what the Israelites were like. But it is true. It's absolute truth. On that cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. We no longer have to strive to satisfy God's demands, to be righteous, to earn his blessings, to earn healing. They've been earned for us by Jesus. Hebrews 10, 12. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered the one supreme sacrifice for all sin, for all time. He sat down on a throne at the right hand of God. The reason is because his redemptive work was finished. But that's not all. Ephesians 2.6 says, He raised us up with Christ and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For now we are co-seated with Christ. That's where our position is. We are in Christ. He's at the right hand of God. We are with him. The right hand means authority. The position of being at the right hand of God means a position of authority with Jesus in us. So Jesus' call to us today is to come to him and find rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works, just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. So we're talking about entering that rest. This rest is not a rest from work. It's a rest in his finished work. I think that is just a powerful statement. We still have a part to play. We have a part. God has a part but we got to get out of God's part. His part is finished. He doesn't need help. His work is done. We don't have to add our works to it. Hebrews 9.11, this is our last scripture. 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Whoa. This is the one that just kind of stirs this all up and says, okay, I don't get it. That sounds like a contradiction. Be diligent, strive earnestly, diligently to enter that rest. As believers, we're partners with God. We have a part, he has a part. But when we try to do his part, that's when we stir up worry, strife, fear, all of that stuff that gets in the way. God says, no, you rest in my finished work. And if I give you a direction, do it. If, if I give you a step to take, yes, do it. If I reveal something to you, listen, heed, obey. But just rest in my finished work. So the finished work that we're going to, or I'm sorry, the, the, the diligence to enter his rest that we're going to go to next week, I'm going to give you a preview, is praying and studying and meditating on the word of God being transformed, being renewed in your mind because that is going to carry you into a place of being able to rest in his finished work when your heart and your mind is renewed. So we're going to talk about that next week. So Father, I just thank you for the word that you've given us today. I thank you, Father, for the rest that you've promised us. I thank you for your grace that is more than enough I thank you for your love, your extravagant love that paid for your extravagant grace. And Father, I thank you that we just bring that all right into our heart with us and carry it with us as a treasure. In Jesus' name, amen.